Advent, which maybe is not a familiar word to all of you, word that simply means arrival, something that the church has been celebrating for over 2,000 years. Hey there. Advent is a season of anticipation. It's when we eagerly anticipate the arrival of our Lord, his advent. We celebrate Jesus' first coming with the celebration of Christmas, and we wait his second coming, asking that the Lord Jesus would come quickly. But then also, we invite Jesus to come to us today, to fill our hearts, our homes, to join us at our gatherings, both with family and friends, because in Jesus' appearing, God's peace is found. Now, this Advent, we're looking at the songs of Christmas, and I love uh, the book of Luke for this reason. I don't know if you noticed, but the book of Luke almost reads like a theatrical play. These first few chapters, we have multiple angelic messengers, and an announcement will be given, and the recipient will burst into song. It's like watching, you know, The Sound of Music or something like that, you know, like all of a sudden you hear the music in the background, and then somebody, do a dear, you know, they just kind of break into this thing, right? That's kind of how this reads, the theatrical play. And only the Gospel of Luke begins with these songs, these poems or hymns, but they are all proclaiming God's plan to bring peace to the world through this child to be born. Now, last week, Jordan focused on how the peace of Christ in his kingdom comes to us personally by specifically focusing on the forgiveness of sins through the work of Jesus Christ. Today, I want to look at how that same peace propels us out into the world to make known the present and coming kingdom of God, the king of peace and the kingdom of peace. And as I was thinking about this, my desire is that as we look at this passage and the song, that we would be caught up in the worship of the angels, but specifically more so in the wonder of the shepherds, so that our focus would be redirected toward the hope of all the earth, the kingdom of God that alone brings peace. So what is this story and song about? Fleming Rutledge, in her book Advent, she says this, W.H. Auden writes, nothing can save us that is possible. Nothing can save us that is possible. She goes on, the human race cannot expect to receive any lasting comfort from the world. The comfort that we so desperately need must come from somewhere else. In a burst of transcendent power breaking upon our ears from beyond our sphere all together. The comfort that we so desperately need must come from somewhere else. You know, this is what that, this passage and song is really all about. Our hope 
the peace that all of us long for coming from outside of us, bursting on the scene, taking us, if we're willing, by surprise and catching us up into its wonder. So this song, the song of the angels, becomes this triumphant crescendo to the tension that has been built in the first two songs of Luke. It's this release of all the tension that the scriptures have been building towards. This is the final breaking in of the kingdom of God on earth, the thing that the scriptures have been pointing to and anticipating over and over and over again. And though we've heard it in the recent songs of Mary and Zechariah, these themes of longing and hope span through the history of Israel and the people of God, going all the way back to the expulsion from the Garden of Eden, where we were given the promise of the skull crusher who would defeat the serpent and rescue the people of God and the creation. It was renewed in Abraham and the Jewish forefathers. It was carried from Egypt through the wilderness by Moses, fumbled by judges and kings, seen afar off by the prophets, nearly lost in the exile. But the promise is finally here, the coming of the long-awaited king. You know, really, if you think about it, scripture reads very much like a piece of music. Just for instance, I think all of us are young enough, old enough to remember the Indiana Jones films, right? Or even Star Wars, we can use that. How many Star Wars fans in the house Or Indiana Jones? Okay. So you know how Spielberg does this and Lucas does this. uh, Well, I guess John Williams. But these reoccurring musical themes that keep coming out throughout the film. You know, so you've got Darth Vader and his entrance, the Imperial March, right? But then we have right, the Star Wars theme, like that bursts in and it comes in, like when the good guys are winning, that song comes in, you know, and then it fades out, but then it comes back in and then it fades out and then it comes back in. Scripture does this over and over and over and again. It builds the tension as we see the promise just kind of fading and we're wondering, is God gonna be faithful? Is it gonna happen? Is is he going to fulfill his promises? And you hear the imperial march. Oh no, what's happening? The promises of God are being lost. You can read this in the Psalms. You can read this in the book of Judges. You can read this in the Chronicles and the Kings. And then we have these bursts of the promises of God. An example of this would be Isaiah 40 where we've read 39 chapters of judgment, and then all of a sudden, it's like that theme from Star Wars or Indiana Jones, dun 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 right? Comfort my people. Comfort them. Let them know that their warfare has ended. The promise is breaking through again. And Scripture reads this way. It reads like a theatrical piece of music. And so we have come to this final moment of the arrival of the king and the kingdom of God. And man, it's all in. Angels singing, bursting into song at the arrival of the kingdom of God. Now Luke records this momentous event beginning with these words. 
in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered or taxed. Now, often we read Luke's narrative as just that, narrative, a retelling of the chronological events that help us understand the exact time of the birth of Christ. And this assures us of the historical accuracy by listing names, dates, and places. This is true in one sense, but there is much more at work here. See, the theme of Luke's two-part gospel, Luke and Acts, is that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is Lord, or the Greek word kyrios. And this was a title that was also used for Caesar. The point of beginning the narrative of the birth of Christ with the mention of Caesar and his decree is to contrast him with this true king. This true king who alone brings a kingdom of peace into the world, one that Caesar has no claim on. Now, many of us have heard these stories since we were children. Some of us may be hearing them for the first time. But for those who are familiar with it, I think it's easy to miss the strangeness of this story and the wonder that it should instill within us. Luke goes on to tell us the details surrounding the birth of Jesus, the location, the unfortunate lowly circumstances and lack of this family, especially in a time of personal need. He tells us about the angelic messenger, the unlikely recipients, the significance of this birth, but it's all rather strange. Of course, the announcement of the birth of a great king would not have been unique or strange uh, at this time in history, or the fact that the angel begins by declaring that he brings good news or gospel. You see, Caesar was also a king that had claimed that his rule was good news for all people. The angels announced that the king would bring peace to all whom God favors, but Caesar claimed that his Pax Romana had brought peace to the known world. Now, just a little flyover of history. Many of us might know that Caesar Augustus, he turned the great Roman Republic into an empire, and he put himself at the head of this. He proclaimed that he alone had brought justice and peace to the whole world, and he declared his dead adoptive father to be divine, and then actually claimed himself to be the son of God. The citizens of Rome and the empire declared Augustus was the savior of the world. He was its king, its Kyrios or Lord. And there were even parts of the empire that worshiped him as a god. Now, the reason I say all this is because I think we can become a bit dull, skeptical, or even apathetic to this declaration of the angels. How many times have we heard the word gospel or good news? Bringing great joy. A savior is born who is Christ the Lord. We rehearse these every year. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth with those whom he favors. We hear it every year at Christmas. 
And it should stir our hearts afresh. But for many of us, life with its various trials and troubles, it really muddies the waters, doesn't it? You know, actually, I was out here yesterday doing the food drive, and just I was registering people and just talking to them. And there was one woman uh, in particular who we were talking, and I could just tell she just needed somebody to talk to. Starts telling me how she's lost her mother and her brother in the last two years. How she lost this, you know, she's had like eight dogs like in the last, I don't know, 10 years or something like that. And she swore she'd never have a dog again because her last dog died and just the heartache of it. But she got this new dog and she's telling me all this. And finally she stops, she says, you know, you know, people say Christmas is supposed to be, you know, joyful and filled with hope and peace, but it really isn't like that for most of us. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It isn't like that for most of us, is it? But then I was able to talk to her about how actually the original Christmas, the real Christmas, is for people just like you and me. See, that, this is the truth. We hear it every Christmas time, and it should stir our hearts. It should instill wonder and joy the peace of Christ ruling and reigning within us. And yet, life with its trials and troubles and hardships and conflicts, this kind of fades, doesn't it? And all of those other things are prevalent. They're up front in our faces. I mean, not only that, but hasn't every kingdom on earth claimed something like this? Doesn't every nation claim to be the bringer of peace and offers it to their people? You know, years ago, I had the opportunity to go to both Russia and South Africa. Not on the same trip. That'd be way too crazy. But I was going to these schools. I was playing music. And and particularly in Russia, we were visiting some of these schools. And what the Russian children wanted to do is they wanted to sing us one of their songs. So they sang us one of their national songs. And we had an interpreter. And it was really interesting just being an American, being there just hearing very similar themes to you know, our national anthem and our songs of our country about peace and liberty and justice and goodness and righteousness. And I'm like, where are, aren't we in Russia right now? You know, like <laughs> being a good old American, like, no, no, those are the bad guys and we're, we're the good guys. But listening to these songs, I'm like, these are literally the same things our country sings about, that we are the bringers of peace. We are you know, the people of righteousness and freedom and justice for all. And Long story short, I went to South Africa and a very similar thing happened to me where, you know, we're there and they're singing us their national songs and the same thing. And I'm like, man, didn't the apartheid happen in this country like 20 years ago? And, you know, this is back in 2000. Anyway, it was just this interesting moment for me to just think, you know what? Every country on earth claims this, that this president, this leader, this time, it's all going to happen. But you know what? In the words of Roger Daltrey, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. This is what it is. And every four years, it's like, no, 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 hope. You know, no, 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 we're going to make it great again, right? It's just like, come on. We've seen it all. And this isn't new, like it has been happening for thousands and thousands of years. So you can imagine that the shepherds probably had some of this as well. They had reason to feel suspicion and skepticism. The kingdom of David was non-existent at this time. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? 
Do you know that that's where the house of Judah lived? The kingly family lived in Nazareth, and yet the nation's looking at it being like, nothing's ever coming out of Nazareth. There is no hope in the king. Though the Jews were back in the land, the people still lived in the conditions of exile, dispossessed and disenfranchised. The kingdom of Rome had brought nothing but pain and misery to their nation and their community. Peace on earth? A savior, a rescuer? Come on, we've heard it all before. Even the pagans of the first century world had this growing cynicism toward Rome and conditions in the empire. Listen to Epictetus, a first century Greek Stoic philosopher. He says this, while the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he is unable to give peace from passion, grief, and envy. He cannot give peace of heart for which men yearn for more than even outward peace. And it's no different today. I have a Christmas uh, set list, you know, kind of musical set list that I listen to every year, and it builds, and, you know, sometimes it changes, but Spotify, if you want it, just text me, I'll send it to you. Um, but one of the songs that's not a Christmas song, but that I put on it every year is a song by U2 called Peace on Earth. And I want to read it to you because I think it carries some of this kind of pessimistic skepticism that some of us might feel. And I think many of us should feel. So Bono writes, heaven on earth, we need it now. I'm sick of all of this hanging around. I'm sick of sorrow, sick of pain, sick of hearing again and again that there's gonna be peace on earth. It goes on, where I grew up, there weren't many trees, but where there were, we would tear them down and use them on our enemies. They say that what you mock will surely overtake you and you become a monster so the monster will not break you. And it's already gone too far. Who said if you go in hard, you won't get hurt? Here's the chorus. Jesus, can you take the time to throw a drowning man a line? Peace on earth. Tell the ones who hear no sound, whose sons are living in the ground, that there's peace on earth. There's no who's or why's. No one cries like a mother cries for peace on earth. She never got to say goodbye to see the color in his eyes. Now he's in the dirt. Peace on earth? Maybe this is more along the lines that you feel, of what you feel at this time. As you go through the shopping malls or the market, You do your errands, you're at the Christmas party at work, maybe even here this morning. Maybe Christmas for you, rather than being nostalgic, filled with wonder, joy, and hope, is filled with painful memories. It reminds you of loss, it reminds you only of conflict and hardship. Well, this first Christmas that we read about here And I would say the true celebration of Christmas is for such people. 
And such people become the true witnesses of the Christ who brings peace. Now let's go on to talk a little bit about the true king. See, this announcement, this kingdom and king, this whole setting is so strange, as I said before. And it arrests the shepherd's attention and it redirects their focus, which results in worship. It says they were amazed, they were filled with wonder, and they went and they told everyone about the things that they had seen and the things that they had heard. And so they become witnesses, proclaimers of this king and this kingdom. But I believe it comes not because it's a king, not because of the angelic messengers, I mean, maybe a little bit of that, but because this kingdom and this king comes in a way that no one expects. It's hidden from the great and prestigious, but it's revealed to fools, the working and low class of society. You think about it, right? As an adult, this king, Kingdom Herald, has the audacity to tell the world about the good life, what blessing and flourishing really looks like. What does Jesus know of that? He's born in a stable. Let me tell you about the good life, right? Where were you born? Oh, you know, in a barn down the road, right? You can't even find the town. Blink and you miss it. Born in a stable, laid in a feeding trough. His royal reception is by shepherds. He's hunted down by a tyrant. Look, this is either the worst PR strategy in history or it is an altogether different type of kingdom. We hear it again and again, this country, this king, this government, this president, this administration will bring the peace that we're all looking for, but it's all the same. But listen to this, this king is like no other. This king comes like no other. This kingdom is so upside down and backwards. It reminds me of Isaiah's words when he says, who would believe the report that we heard? And who would have considered that this was the mighty hand of God? The announcement of his birth is not made in the large city of the empire of Rome. It's not even made in Bethlehem, a very small town, according to Micah chapter five but only makes it to the field outside the city. Not only that, but armies, the armies of heaven are announcing this king. But listen to what they announce. Good news, joy, and peace. Armies don't announce good news. That's not what they do. They announce war, victory, but here they announce good news, joy, and peace for all people. Shepherds are not the favored recipients of a great king, and certainly not the king of kings. The angel proclaims peace to those whom God favors. Makes you question, well, who's that? Who does God favor? Well, according to the narrative so far, and then a little bit afterwards, who does God favor? a barren senior citizen and her religious priest husband. 
Who else? A teenage pregnant girl from Nazareth and her carpenter husband. Lowly shepherds living out their mundane existence. Simeon and Anna, more senior citizens who hang around the church grounds and won't leave, right? These are the people that God favors. Wildly strange and mysterious magi. You know, people write books on this stuff. They speculate. Nobody knows what these people are. You like maybe a glimpse in the book of Daniel where you've got the astrologers and the astronomers and the magi, and they go before the king to tell them what they've seen in the stars. That's who these people might be. Like, what are those people doing in a gospel setting, right? Like, these are crazy, like, you know, stargazing people. This is just a sampling of those whom God favors or is pleased to offer his salvation to. Now, the rest of this two-part gospel, Luke Acts, will show the extent of God's favor among the most unlikely of people, all kinds of people out of every tribe, tongue, nation, and people, all people without distinction. Going on, royal babies are not placed in mangers. They don't sleep with the animals. Virgins do not give birth, right? It's so strange when you actually think about it and put it this way. This is the kingdom that we've all been waiting for. This is the hope of all the earth. But see, this is exactly Luke's point, that the kingdom of the Christ is like no other. This is why Luke tells it the way he does, because he wants us to see the incredible contrast, and he wants to reignite hope and wonder at this strange king and kingdom that is coming into this world. It is this strange upside-down king and kingdom that is the true hope of the world and will bring about the peace that every human and every nation has longed for since the dawn of time. The angel declared that this kingdom results in glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth. Now, of course, I said already, we've heard this from other kings and presidents and leaders, administration and nations, this claim of peace, justice, righteousness. But the kingdom of Christ brings a holistic peace. You know, peace, in the way that the scripture speaks of it, is not just a general peacefulness with prosperity. It's not just a trouble-free life or simply an absence of conflict. But peace in scripture, it means the end of all enmity and warfare, the abolishment of poverty, of oppression, of misery, of sin in all of its various forms, and the ushering in of absolute blessing, prosperity, flourishing of the world. Peace and scripture really is all-encompassing. It's personal and psychological. It's health and life to our sin-ravaged souls. It's peace within our own selves. 
Gosh, in the last two years, we have seen this escalate, haven't we? The rise in mental health, the anxiety, fears that people live with constantly, the dysphoria and confusion that people experience. We long for serenity within our own souls. This comes with the kingdom of Christ. But it's not just personal and psychological, it's also spiritual and social. It's a sound and healthy relationship between God and humans. I mean, this is incredible. Think about it. The armies of heaven declare peace on earth. They don't come negotiating terms with earth, like, okay, you know, heaven's willing to do this. What do you guys think? Meet us halfway. It's just like, no, this is it. The king's coming. There will be peace. Peace. God and humans reconciled is what the Christmas carol proclaims. But it's not just between God and humans, but humans amongst themselves. All the conflict, wars, and enmity that have been, you know, the human experience since Cain and Abel, or maybe even Adam and Eve, the blame game out of the garden, removed peace, good will toward men, the angel proclaims. Peace with both friend and foe. And finally, the peace of scripture is physical and environmental. Sound and whole condition of universal righteousness and prosperity prevailing over the earth. Peace within the creation itself. This is why Isaiah envisions that the child will play near the cobra or uh, the viper den. It's like, what? Like, we need to talk to those parents. What are they doing right now? Where are they? But all of that conflict, nature will no more be red in tooth and claw. But there will be peace. Do you know a single person that does not long for that kind of peace? Our bodies ache. We get sick and grow old. Our memories fade. We fall apart. Our families and close relationships that are meant to build up, that they're meant to protect, to bring comfort, support, and give life are torn apart through selfishness, through greed. And instead of harmony and peace, we experience conflict and tension even among the family of God, where we should find the peace of Christ reigning and ruling, we find these things at work. There are conflicts everywhere from families and neighborhoods to national politics to warring nations. And the last two years, maybe more than ever in our lifetime, has shown us how desperately our lives need this peace. We're disconnected and hostile toward people that are different or disagree with us. We have enmity and conflict in our home, our places of work, and even our own souls. We long for the peace that scripture envisions. This peace that is only found in the kingdom and reign of God 
and his Christ. There's this hymn that we've been singing here on Sunday mornings, uh, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And I love this stanza. It says, Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. See, the peace that we long for as individuals, that we long for as a community, that we long for as a nation, that the world groans for, is only found in the kingdom of Christ and its king, King Jesus. Now, I want to do something a little different at this point. I want to read from Isaiah 65, and I want to read this over you, if you would let me. And so, if you would, just close your eyes and allow this beautiful vision of the kingdom of God just to wash over you. And my prayer is that it would stir up a longing for the peace of God. That it would stir up this desire to live in that kingdom peace today, to seek it out diligently. Isaiah 65. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant while others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord. They and their descendants with them, before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, God is in the Manger, he says, Advent creates people, new people. 
says, we too are supposed to become new people in Advent. Look up, you who gaze is fixed on this earth, he says. You who are spellbound by the little events and changes on the face of the earth, look up to these words. You who have turned away from heaven disappointed, look up. You whose eyes are heavy with tears and who are heavy and who are crying over the fact that the earth has gracelessly torn you away, look up. You who burdened with guilt cannot lift your eyes, look up. Your redemption is drawing near. Guys, this is what Advent and Christmas is all about. Nothing can save us that is possible. Nothing within ourselves, nothing in this world can bring the peace that we long for. But our salvation, our rescue, our hope must come from without. And this is the claim of Christmas that God has sent his only son into the world to rescue it, to redeem it, to bring it to the end that he created it for, that one day the earth will be filled with the glory of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. See, the joy and hope and peace we look for at Christmas time, it cannot be found within ourselves. It cannot even be something that we conjure up. No, the true joy, hope, and peace that we are looking for is found alone in Christ, in his coming, and what he brings as king of the kingdom of God. Now, these shepherds, they were surprised by the angels taken off guard, filled with wonder and curiosity at their announcement. Their desires and heart longings were stirred and captured by this announcement, by the things that they witnessed, which resulted in worship and witness, telling others what they had seen and heard. May their surprise become our expectation May their surprise become our intentional search for the presence and peace of Christ. Don't settle for chestnuts roasting on an open fire, is what I'm trying to say. Don't settle for the latest Apple product to bring you peace and consolation. Don't settle for the tax break you get at the end of the year. Don't settle for just a simple gathering where nothing difficult is brought up. Search diligently for the Christ and the peace that only he can bring. The peace that is assured to us. We see it afar off just as the original recipients did. We long for it. But we know we are assured that it's coming and it will fill our mouths with laughter 
It will fill our hearts overflowing with joy. Do not settle until you find that peace that is found in Christ and in him alone. Now here is the truth, just last thing as we finish up. As the people of God, as recipients of this message, those who have been redeemed by Christ, brought into his kingdom, we have the very joy and peace that the world is looking for, but often dismisses because it is hid in plain sight. Wrapped in humility, announced in a field, looked over by kings and scholars, but sought by old men and women, the working class and the foreigner. We have it. If we have it and the world around us longs for it, what should we do? I believe we should live it out. We should live out the joy that was purchased by Christ through his death and resurrection, that was given by the Spirit of God. We should stir that up. The joy that no one can steal from us. We should live it out the peace because the king has come. He rules and reigns in our hearts and he will come again. And we would, should show those around us through mercy and kindness and generosity that we now live under the reign of this king who brings true peace. So as you diligently search and seek out the Christ child, the king, stir up that joy. Apply it to those dark places, the broken places of your life, and then live it out. Live it, and as you have opportunity, share it. That is my invitation to each one of us this Advent season. Lord Jesus, we pray by your Holy Spirit that you would do for us what we cannot do for ourselves that you, Lord, would come with your reign of peace and rule in our hearts. Lord, we would ask even today that we would have a fresh experience of the peace that you bring, that it would wash over us. Lord, that it would be even in this moment as we sing together, as we contemplate the things that we have heard, that it would be applied to those deep recesses of our hearts the places that we rarely go visit, that we fear to go, Lord, would we allow your peace to touch even those places and begin to do its work of healing, of renewal, of restoration. And Lord, as you begin to bring healing, as you begin to bring your peace to our lives, Lord, would we, live that out in such a way that would surprise the world and would invite them into the worship and witness that we ourselves have experienced. We pray all this in your name and for the sake of your good news and kingdom, for the sake of the world. Amen.